0: Ooh, it's a grim night out for it. It's
1: a grim night for grim business. I hate working the shift from midnight to eight AM.
0: Mm, graveyard.
1: That's what I said, the graveyard shift.
0: Oh no no no, I meant we we're in a graveyard. We must have taken a wrong turning to King's Reach Tower. Hey, you're right. Look at all these headstones. It's a cemetery. And there's names here <laughs> Tiger, Buster, Ginty, Tammy, Misty? A pet
2: cemetery. Not pets, my lads. Though
0: they was
1: loved by boys and girls everywhere once. Just, not enough of them. It's a leper. Hello, leper. What brings you out right here, in a graveyard, at midnight? Oh, I'm a grave digger, are I? This boneyard's my
2: place of work, yeah. In here are the buried memories of comic books of old. All gone before their time.
0: Oh yeah, look, there's the lion. And the Valiant. Even the Eagle.
1: But, Reece, that one. The soil's still fresh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Turned out to be a bit of a premature
2: burial, that one. But it'll be back. They will go in air in the
0: end. Uh, yeah, well, speaking of going, uh, we should be on our way, shouldn't we, Peter? Oh, oh, yes. Huh? Which way
1: from here, Mr. Leper, sir? Just
0: a few yards on, and left a bit.
1: You can't
3: miss it.
0: Cool, thank you! Whoop! Heh
2: heh, right on target. Oh well, off to work. Greetings, mortals. I hope our cover scene from the Dracula Files was enough to whet your ghoulish appetites for the fiery climax of this three-part look at Drax's past. You'd like to see more of Dracula's blood-soaked history? Write in and tell me. If you think you could stand the shock. Ghastly McNasty.
0: (laughs) Hello, dear listener. (laughs) Welcome again as we come in to review the uh, the oft lamented, never forgotten Scream comic issues thirteen to fifteen from June to June nineteen eighty
1: four. This is the grim end, ah, the untimely end of Scream. Last three issues, Dave.
0: Yep, but what a doozy of issues they are. Although once again, I think I see a theme. Oh, really? Something's a wee bit fishy. <laughs> What'll you
1: think of next?
0: <laughs> but shall we leap into it? Indeed, let's dive in. First up, taking the coveted front of issue spot. it's the Nightcomers Story by Tom Tully at by Ian Richardson Letters by Pete Bensburg. Previously on The Nightcomers, Rick and Beth Rogan have finally entered the mysterious Ravensmeet Manor to investigate the death of their ghost hunter parents, but the deserted house is not as empty as they think, and the two meddling kids are being stalked by a Tom Tully special,
3: the disembodied
0: hand. (laughs) And then suddenly, the hand wraps itself around Rick's neck, all on Chris Eccleson style, (laughs) choking the life out of him. Once again, Beth whips out her enchanted Ankh, defying the forces of darkness and allowing Rick a moment's respite to fling the foul phantom fingers to the floor and smash them with a Swahili ceremonial staff. Mm. The technical term for which is a Rungu, or oh, a no. Nobkiri,
1: mm-hmm. or
0: in, if you're in Ireland, a shillelagh.
1: Oh, ah, yes, of course.
0: <laughs> carry on. After pounding the demonic digits to dust, the pair continue their search to find the evil heart of the house. But even as they do so, one of the tiger skins on the floor comes to life and lunges at them. Meow. (laughs) Rick knocks it back, losing his weapon, and the kids barricade themselves into the library. But just as they secure the door, a large shield comes flying off the wall, knocking them senseless. And out of a secret passage, a shadowy figure emerges, promising Raven's meat shall have the Rogan's blood. Mm Mm-hmm. It's all a bit secret passages and in the libraries and stuff. But Yes, yes. Next issue, the Rogans are dragged off by a goat-headed monster in a natty overcoat.
1: <laughs> An overcoat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and shortly after, Rick wakes up to find he is tied to a chair and Beth is bound to a giant X-shaped fridge magnet in a very <laughs> occult-looking large room. Altar with a knife, hexagram on the floor... Big painted picture of a horned monster, that kind of thing. Hmm. The goat headed beast is revealed to be Simon Cutler, the owner of the manor, who begins his exposition of evil. Cutler had been dabbling in the occult, contacting the demon Baphomet to help him with his interior decorating. <laughs> yes, Bed Baphomet and beyond.
3: Oh, God.
0: But during the ritual to summon the beast, Cutler was disturbed by his unsuspecting wife, Edna who accuses him of meddling in forces he doesn't understand, like interior decor. (laughs) And in the ensuring argument, Edna is pushed onto a plinth which topples over and crushes her. Hmm. DIY disasters, really. (laughs) Terrified of calling the police, or even worse, Lawrence, Llewellyn Bowen, Cutler chucks Edna's body down the outhouse well seen last episode, listeners. Hmm. but he is haunted by Edna's rage. The skeletal face appears in windows and mirrors, spiders swarm through the house, food turns into worms, and Cutler's dreams are haunted by the demon, demanding the rituals continue to free him from hell.
1: How is your biscuit, Simon? Sorry? What we do in the shadows? Your biscuit.
0: Desperate, Cutler called in the Rogan's senior to help exorcise the house, but they were literally driven away straight into a tree. Yeah. Beth explains that Baphomet is using Edna Cutler's grief and rage to gain strength, but the deranged landowner believes his only escape is to offer more rogans for sacrifice, and he picks up a knife and advances on Beth. Issue 15. As the spectral painting of Baphomet stirs to life, Beth realizes her only chance is to use her mental powers to contact Edna's ghost which eerily rises from its watery grave and transforms around Beth's face, Doomlord-style.
1: Creepy transition, then.
0: Terrified, Cutler turns on the Baphomet painting and tries to smash it as the monster starts clawing its way into our reality. But Baphomet takes control of Cutler's hand, Evil Dead Luke Hackett-style, and causes him to stab (laughs) himself. (laughs) Just then, Rick breaks free of his bonds and confronts the now 3D demon. Realizing the monster is still only made of wood, canvas, and oils, he lobs a candle at it, causing the beast to explode into flames. Lithographs on the Facebook page, people. (laughs) The Rogans are saved, evil is defeated, and the satanic smashing siblings leave Raven's meat as dawn breaks, resolving to drop a note to the police before vanishing into anonymity. Next time, a new Rogan thriller. I'll say.
1: If it was any sort of conclusion, that house would have burnt down uh, with the painting. But, of course... Yeah,
0: but, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's been pretty good. We've had scary things and tigers coming alive on the floor and floating hands. We've had a good pack of scares out of the nightcomers. I think they actually have legs as continuing characters that sadly never eventuated for many, many years.
1: <sighs> of course, what we are sort of obliquely referring to is Beth Rogan's reappearance in The Vigilant. yes. But, I don't know. I don't don't know, Dave. I'm not sure whether this does have legs. You know, in the final analysis, The Nightcomers is a strip I could have seen continuing in the pages of Eagle. But, from what we've seen so far...
0: mm, mm. Well, the the other thing to bear in mind is that, you know, there was also a Nightcomers strip in the can. Anyone who Mm. uh, gets the opportunity should pop over to Hibernia Books for their copy of It's Ghastly, in which they have wouldn't have been the next Nightcomers story. They might have a page out of what was the next Nightcomers story, but mm. they had a, a Nightcomers story waiting in the wings by Simon Furman, I think it was, yeah. and by Gonzalez. And we're not going to steal Hibernia Press's scoop on that one, but no, if no. you've enjoyed Scream, it's well worth tracking that one down.
1: One thing I would say about that is that uh, recently, of course, in the pages of the Judge Street magazine, the Nightcomers was reprinted as one of their sort of floppies their supplementary soft color collections that collection ends with the story so there's no special feature presentation of the missing strip so another feather in the cap of a Hibernia.
0: yes definitely i had a lot of time for the night covers it could develop into a very sort of sapphire and steely type thing Mm. it could develop into a more mature omega factor type thing if that's Mm -hmm. what you were into and you have the good double acted the brother and sister so there's no will they won't nation aliens like on X-Files I I thought I thought the night comers had legs
1: I think it had promise but uh, you know I stand by I think somewhat let down by the storytelling and the artwork too much expository dialogue Mm. towards the end and needed a bit more time sadly didn't have that time
0: oh well uh, Hmm. speaking of stories you might think are a bit fishy then Peter
1: indeed Next story is Library of Death. Now, Library of Death splits itself over two issues, which is, I think, the first, and obviously the last, for screen. The first story here is called The Sea Beast by Simon Furman. Art by Steve Parkhouse. Now, lettering by somebody called Ace of Bone. Um, I had to Google it before I realised that actually that's a pun. Um, I
0: didn't even realise I wrote it down.
1: (laughs) as above which explains why i thought actually this lettering looks a lot like the lettering in the Bo Jeffries saga
0: oh right okay it's a, it's a way of cashing two paychecks
1: yeah for sure yeah i mean it's good enough for dave gibbons it's good enough for Steve <laughs> parkhouse and lots of money lots of people have made money off dave gibbons's lettering since then anyway the sea beast we're in darkest australia and a burning armoured personnel vehicle laden with leaking-slash-critical-and-deadly-radioactive guff is driven across a populated beach and into the sea by its desperate driver before exploding violently, killing the man and releasing the contagion, which is probably mutagen, which will herald the birth of the sea beast. Later that day, Inspector Cole, COAL, and radiation expert Professor Ross of the Authorities mull over the mess. The van largely contained the radiation, but a neutralizing agent for the resulting pollution is still some time away. That night on the beach, a local tramp, Aussie style, Jacob warms himself by a fire on the sand, and from the waves an unseen creature appears. Human hand, crab claw, a fish head, Jacob dead. The cops find his body scattered across the beach the next day. Looks like a shark attack, but a shark with footprints bipedal tracks, heading back into the water. Further along the beach at a luxury house, another man falls prey to the waterborne demon. This time, prawn-like legs burst from his house pool and drag him to his death.
3: (laughs) Struth, Blimey!
1: Cole and Ross return to the beach that night with a spotlight to look for the creature, and sure enough, from out of the dunes shambles a rough beast, an abomination exposed by the spotlight. A chimera. Cole shoots. But the bullets bounce off the sea beast's hide. Only a shock from the broken searchlight sends it back beneath the waves. In search, sea devil noises here.
0: <laughs> yes, carry on.
1: <laughs> Next day, another techie, Dr. Tower, brings the anti-dispersal agent. And as Cole was scuttled with an injury on the night before, Ross dons the wetsuit to deliver the substance under the surface. Diving down into the murk, Ross gets a good reading from the Geiger counter. He sees lots of Geigers.
0: Is a good reading a bad reading? Or is a bad reading a good reading?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they helpfully explain what a Geiger counter is. So, you know, Scream hasn't lost its didactic bent. <laughs> it's a late rally. Now, diving down into the murk, gets good reading. And he brings out a syringe to squirt the agent about. But just as he does, the sea beast looms up and attacks. Even if Ross evades its jaws, one rip in the suit will expose him to the radioactive pollution. Trapped under the Hulk, Ross can only find the syringe to aid him, and he forces it into the monster's moor, and watches as the sea beast warps and implodes, reverting to the sea creatures it came from. Yay, science!
0: <laughs> you know how he injects it into its mouth? Yes. Does that mean it's now got a crook jaw?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Later, reflecting on the beach, Cole glows that all is well, but Ross isn't so sure. If another human came in contact with that pollutant, he hates to think what would happen. And surely, as he says this, on the beach, a young boy gets a mouthful of seawater and watches his hand grow claws.
0: The end? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is, doesn't it? And that's the sea beast yes i quite like that i think that we need to point out though is the start of episode two of the sea beast it gets the cover and it's a good cover it looks suitably simonic
1: yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> it's you know it's, it's got a fish head it's got prawn legs bursting out of its back it's got a human hand and a, and a crab claw and sort of dragging entrails behind it or something it's uh, mm. yeah it's it's right. Um, and it is. It's pretty pretty good cover. Uh, I think we're going to have an interesting discussion as to cover of the month.
0: It is suitably horrific and monstrous. Yeah. It hasn't had the corner shaved off. No, no. no. It, it is B-Movie of the Month. Yes.
1: <laughs> so the last remaining library of Death Story is Out of the Fog by Angus Allen, Art by Baluda, and lettering by Mike Peters. hmm. In a thick and sudden London fog, young Barry Hollis flees the orphanage he has lived in for years, suffering taunts for his living father, imprisoned, Barry thinks, for a crime of murder he didn't commit. Faces form in the fog as he runs, twisting, jeering faces echoing the orphanage taunts, but Barry is drawn instead to the figure of an old tramp who beckons him through the mist and is, he is literally driven to the home of Runick Mercer, who he's never heard of but the ghost then vanishes and reappears in the window and barry finds himself inside and in a study in the house is an old dead man and a suicide note (laughs) mentioning barry's father
0: crotch he was dead old (laughs) dead old
1: (laughs) but a gust of wind makes him flee into the arms of police barry reports the death inside and shows them the note days later his father is freed and the man who framed him is fingered posthumously None other than Runick Mercer, who once killed a tramp—the same tramp whose wraith-like form drew Barry to discover his destiny. But Barry doesn't believe in ghosts. Ooh, the end.
0: Yeah, it's not meant to be a pun, but this fog story is pretty insubstantial. Yep. Yep. <sighs> and it's interesting. Compare it to the Sea Beast; it is literally out of the pages of Misty. Yep. Yeah the girls comic which had a more sort of victoriana gothic mm. ghoulish gaslit streets i mean there's points where you're looking at it going has he traveled back in time because mm. everything seems so old-fashioned and plunky
1: yeah i had to do a check and sort of thing is this is this a period piece is it modern i couldn't yeah. quite work out.
0: the sea beast is a period piece it's straight out of the 1950s but mm.
1: <laughs> well it's jaws essentially
0: yeah. Although having said that, though, it wasn't until I was listening to a description about, you know, more bodies on the shoreline and footprints, um, I think there's a lot of DNA in this with the the recent rerun of Hookjaw in 2008. Mm. I don't know if you've been following it. But yeah. No, no, I've not. Hookjaw is a spiritual thing rather than a, a coastal thing.
1: Yeah. Hey, while we're talking sharks.
0: <laughs> I hadn't set that up, but yes, yes. On the subject of sharks. It's Shark Week on the 13th floor.
1: (laughs) Story by Ian Holland, We're Not Fooled, John Wagner, Art as Ever by José Ortiz and lettering by Mike Peters. Now we return to the phantasmagoric plight of nasty Mr Bullock from the Department of Housing, cast adrift in open waters on a collapsing raft with fins above... And fangs below homing in on him. He is, of course, a captive of Computer Max in the 13th floor. Bullock is snatched by a great white and seemingly made a meal of, but Max only lets him think that. It was some time later I let him be washed up on an island. And in time, any in sandy island indeed, quite alive and safe and in one piece.
0: <laughs> well, well yeah. yeah, maybe not safe, <laughs> but for the moment in one piece.
1: He rests under a tree. Struck on the nut by a coconut with a familiar, crackling face.
0: (laughs) Oh, dear, yes. You're here all right, Mr. Bullock, but you're far from safe.
1: The island sand erupts with giant crab claws, and Bullock is in for another assault, clasped and pulled and tweaked and crushed, until he begs Max for mercy, and is only freed when he promises his victim family a five-star hotel room, and to treat all of his customers with dignity and respect the island reverts to the lift interior and Max frees Bullock who's really been through the ringer in the last few episodes chastened and sworn to secrecy after all who would believe him (laughs) now I should pause to say that uh, this is another cover star Bullock's um, crab Mm -hmm. crab clawed fate is the uh, cover for issue 13 and it's lovely it's a lovely cover
0: yes Max gave that poor man crabs after bagging nuts (laughs) yeah On to
1: Max's next object of attention. It's Cheesy the wall scroller. Max enlists the help of his hypnotized stooge, Bert Rudge, to seize young Cheesy, a wastrel with a spray can, nabbed defacing Macwell Tower's west wall. Bert brings him to Max's lift, but the defender of the tower gets nowhere with this truculent youth. And so the lift doors reopen, and Cheeky finds himself on the top of a skyscraper. But no ordinary skyscraper. He's in New York. And he's on the Empire State Building. Terrified beyond his wits, Cheeky is promised his safety and release by Max, provided he scrawls his name on the building's side. Cheesy gives it a good go, but hanging as he is by one hand, it's a challenge. And he slips and falls straight onto a handy flagpole. <laughs> Insert nutcracker sound.
0: Insert Harold Lloyd theme here.
1: <laughs> Again, Max eggs Cheesy on to complete his work, and he almost does, but the pole snaps and Cheesy falls again. From below a crowd gathers, look up there, is it a bird? Is it a plane? Nah, it's just some gooky kid with a spray can. And Cheesy plummets all the way down to the, to the pavement, hits the ground, tripping a fire hydrant which washes him bedraggled, but obviously unharmed, apart from his pride, into a paint job. Defeated cheesy promises to clean up his act good and proper and the wall outside max is so impressed he considers having a word with the council computer about a cleaning job for young cheesy i really like the cheesy story actually it's one of my
0: favorite my my favorite part of the cheesy story and it's it's because it spans weeks is the tagline in seven days splat that's (laughs) a long drop (laughs) we are playing cards at the bottom. I have a thought on Max's adventures, but we'll save it till the end.
1: Yes, because we've got one last little tidbit until leave us hanging. So the next week is quiet. Max looks after his residence until a visitor arrives. Wally Skegg, an insurance agent, who corners Max's operator Jerry and threatens with the sewing protection racket on him. Max has it all on tape, but Skegg's isn't threatened. So Max decides it's time for Wally to visit his 13th floor. Next
0: week, a rat meets the rats. If only it was a lone shark, then it could be Shark Week again. On, uh, yeah. <laughs> it it's interesting. While you have the theme of horror and scream, mm. Max is sort of venturing into the realms of farce and, and humour. Very dark humour. Mm. But he's letting a few people go with their memories intact. Yep.
1: Yeah, no no good deed will we'll go unpunished here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do like that this last month is actually a bit of a redemption although bullet just basically gets frightened into he he gets cowed into submission whereas cheesy makes makes a better decision i think and 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 max sees that that's why i like the cheesy story is it's not actually about someone being punished it's about someone given the opportunity Mm. to improve themselves
0: (laughs) yes or else uh, they're in for a a long drop off with a short rope
1: yeah, I, well, I think it's part of Max's personality that he, he sees himself as a good computer. Yes. And, and likes to think he you know he's, he knows what's best for, for his tenants and he ex- obviously extends that to the people he meets. Somehow,
0: he sees good and cheesy. That gives de- Max a bit of depth, which, you know, when the time comes, dear listener, we're not making a secret of it, Max is one of the characters who will survive into Eagle.
1: Yeah, he'll go into publishing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but that's the thing. Max is... Again, we'll touch on it later, but the Rogans don't have an arc. Mm. They're a bit like sapphire and Steel, uh, which is good, I like it, but they don't have, at this point, much of a trajectory to follow. And and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that a bit more with the other stories, but Max is one of the few characters that's a character mm. and, and can carry on and will do so. Quite spectacular in some ways.
1: Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Speaking of uh, unfortunate characters,
3: <laughs>
0: it's the Tales from the Grave. The Escape, story by Scott Goodall, art by John Watson. Is it John Watson? Jim Watson. Jim Watson. Because it's Victoriana, I keep on thinking mm. of Dr. John Watson. Uh, art by Jim Watson, lettering by Peter Dark and Stormy Night. <laughs> now, we have to cook the books a bit, dear listener, and flashback to issue number 12. Just to keep things tidy, Young Billy White is an apprentice undertaker for old Jeb Morgan, and he was as greedy and unscrupulous as his boss. After the two fight about a diamond ring on one of their client's fingers, when the body of a wealthy American shipowner arrives to be prepared and coffined up for a return to New York, young Billy hatches a plan. <laughs> After disposing of the body and modifying the lead-lined coffin, clubs old Jeb to death before ditching that body in the cellar and stealing the old Undertaker's ill-gotten gains stolen from several years worth of corpses. He then hops into the coffin through a secret hatch he has built and waits to be shipped to America and pastures new. The next morning, the coffin is picked up from the empty Undertaker's offices and put on the proud Yankee clipper Sarah Rose. That night, Billy sneaks out of his cramped quarters and raids the galley for a drink and a haunch of meat, but he's discovered by the ship's cook. Desperate, Billy clubs the older man senseless with his leg of lamb and then pitches the body overboard before returning to his hiding place.
1: And his leg of lamb, he says, it's a great murder weapon and a meal. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) It's
1: been gruesome.
0: And I'm not saying the uh, 13th floor is the only one with any humour, but it's the Mm. most light hearted Mm. Five days later, Billy is still hidden when the coffin is unceremoniously lifted from the hold and taken onto the deck. Too late, Billy realises his mistake, and that the ship owner was to be buried at sea. Hmm <laughs> Theme, theme, and as the lead-lined coffin hits the seabed, it held Billy White's corpse inside. He escaped, but only to a watery grave. The next Tales from the Grave story is meant to be a three-parter. Uh-oh. The man they call Dr. Death. Script by R. Hunter, who's uh, Ian Rimmer. Art again by Jim Watson. Lettering again by Stormy Knight. This is a story about a doctor called Fillery, but we start with the death of a coachman named Wenlock whose horse loses a shoe during 20 on the motorway and crashes his wagon full of logs into a building. Dr. Fillory rushes to help with a convenient saw but is stopped by a policeman who closes the scene with a crash. But the doctor's intentions weren't quite that benevolent and inside his secret Frankenstein lab he considered his bad luck on missing out on the coachman's uninjured arm which would help him with his experiments in reanimating the dead flesh.
1: It would be quite handy.
0: <laughs> you Damn it, you bit me to it. <laughs> evil dead Tom Tully style.
1: It's something up his sleeve. <laughs>
0: oh, God. <laughs> so that night, he hires two local near do wells Fox and Hopkins, to dig up the dead body. That night, in issue 15, in a spooky graveyard, the two men graft away under Fillory's supervision until the body is exposed, and pulling out his saw, the devilish doctor removes an arm and leaves the two rogues to rebury the body, not realizing one of them has nicked his watch in the process. (laughs) while the doctor toils in his lab to reanimate the hand the two crooks fall to fighting over the stolen watch and fox kills hopkins before heading back to the lab to extort more money out of the doctor but unseen by all the hand has been awoken and starts to stir in its watery tank in the lab next time death to dr death (laughs) that's it again plugging Hibernius, it's ghastly mm. uh, Ian Rimmer does do a brief summary of where he thinks the story's going again we're not going to steal Hibernia's thunder on this but it's a very hammer horror climax and I'm just going to shut the door
3: the creatures of the night what
1: music they make
0: um, it's a very hammer horror climax mm. uh, you get your bursting into flames ending it ends with a leper saying something very caustic Carbonate a soda. Or something <laughs> I, and there's also a bonus script in there for another story that never quite uh, mm. eventuated
1: so yeah Tales from the Grave it has consistently been I think the grisliest strip of Scream it's kept its mood because it's kept its artist and it's been completely on theme in its setting it hasn't jumped into the far future or skipped countries or anything like that it's been remarkably true to its setting and to its pitch even if at the risk of being limited
0: Yeah, and I think we're beginning to see the limit. You know, thieves falling foul over stolen goods. Yeah. We're beginning to see the
1: limit of the storyline. It doesn't help that Jim Watson's artwork does render everybody looking rather similar to one another as well.
0: Yeah, it's sort of... How many amicus movies could you watch in a run? Not many,
1: if any. Yeah, Uh, And they're portmanteaus anyway. (laughs) But I have in my notes here worth a collection. I think that would be quite a nice handsome collection keep it in color yeah and as i say you've got consistency there you've got your theme there's probably enough there to to do a good job
0: you know you might want to mix them up with a few ghastly tails or something Mm. just so they don't become too samey because they're they're short sharp shocks yep your adrenal gland will run out after a while true but i can see why it didn't transition to eagle
1: Oh, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: By we, that token.
1: Yeah, would we, not have been appropriate for either. Yeah, I think it's it's actually too mature. It's relentless, and it's cruel, mm. and it's grim. Uh, and as I said, it's, it's, it's grisly. But in that, it's been inventive. I've been genuinely surprised by some of the endings. I like that the escape hasn't, or at least it's avoided the usual, and he boarded the Titanic ending. <laughs>
0: well, that's, uh, that's true. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, can we call it an uncelebrated
0: gem? I think it's the, it's maybe one of the most screamiest scream stories in Scream. Yes, yes. But speaking of portmanteau Screamy stories... Indeed.
1: Let's uh, continue with the theme with ghastly tales. So we have three, uh, this issue. Yeah. Uh, first one, unlucky for some. Now these uh, ghastly tales are usually not credited to writer, artist or letterer. I wondered whether unlucky for some, which of course appears in issue 13 very nicely on theme, may have been illustrated by Dave DeContest.
0: We've got to be a bit careful with our artist picks, Peter. We have gotten in trouble recently on the Facebook pages with that.
1: We do, but listener, if you've got some better suggestions or even accurate suggestions or even correct suggestions, please do tell us. Yes. It's the only way we'll learn. (laughs) 13 photos. So there are 13 panels, and unlucky for some, actually 13. And it tells the story of a young boy for the first 13 years of his life so there's a photo a year of one of his birth and it's growing up and so forth he's got the usual upbringing a few hints for later there's not much hair on me here I get more later and then I get mm. bigger etc by year seven he's attacked in his home and a year later he's making a very slow recovery but by year nine he's in trouble with constant sickness and by ten he's admitted to a special clinic grows fast mm. at year 11 there's only a bestial x ray for him at year 12, and in, at the age of 13 on his birthday, a photographer's last shot of an attacking beast. A 13 year old mm. boy fully transformed into
0: a werewolf. Or a were lion.
1: Or a wereboy. Or a teenager. <laughs>
0: oh, a were on earth is the ministry, ministry of defense. <laughs> Yeah, so that's unlucky for some. I believe I've read somewhere, and I hmm. might be misattributing this, it's Young Master Tomlinson. Ah,
1: well, that would fit. I, yeah, that would fit. I'm sort of seeing it rubbing shoulders with his Punch and Judy man story.
0: I can't remember where I read that somewhere, but hmm. I might be confusing it with something else, but I, I vaguely remember reading that that was one of his stories. Or, or someone's stories, because they, they point out the spelling mistake, which I completely missed every time I read it.
1: Cool so issue 14 is dumb animals uh, Matt Foster is a big game hunter and keen on new entries for his trophy room so keen he sneaks into the Coolong game reserve sounds like it should be in Australia but I think it's in Africa
0: unless it's to do with the drinks you have after you've finished your day's hunting
1: Indeed. so he sneaks in under the warden's nose and returns later to mount a new antelope head for his den wall to the scolding of his friend Matt's not moved though, next morning he sneaks into the reserve and finds the air minerals almost lined up in front of him, ready to be shot quickly, he guns them all, but they don't drop, because they're cut-out dummies, and a voice out of the panel announces, The decoys did their job well, now I have you, and Matt runs for his life, but not enough. Later, we see our hunter returning home from an illegal trip, but this time, it's to earth. And the hunter is a reptilian alien, Ogskrit. His prey from the Forbidden Earth is Foster, whose head appears on his den wall,
0: Next to the fish tank and the eagle breeders from the app. Uh, it's a collector story, really, isn't yeah, it? its it is. It's a bit of a...
1: Issue 15
0: is a Blood Track.
1: Now, art here by John Cooper. Mm -hmm. Motorbike enthusiast Gary Steadman is racing his 1,000cc bike out on the open road when he hits an old man, not a tramp. It's an important plot point. Uh, Knocking him into a ditch to die while a cowardly Gary flees the scene. Nobody tracks him for the hit and run. But a week later, he notices a smear of blood on the bike windshield, and one that can't be wiped off. So he switches bike with the local dealers. But it too collects a bloody smear when he nears the site of the hit and run on a test drive. Distracted, he hits a tree and is hospitalized in need of transfusion. But all the blood vials in the bank have been smashed, splattering blood everywhere. Perhaps it was the work of that orderly, the old orderly who was killed last week in a hit and run out in the country. What do you think, Dave?
0: With a blood stain, just like that one on the wall. Then, yeah. Are you sure it's John Cooper?
1: Mm, no. I don't know anything anymore
0: Okay, sorry No, no, no just you said it and I, was, I was like, oh, okay I didn't even notice Um, Okay, it's fine It's all cool
1: It's the artist who did the Ness Sponsor story in the M-Store computer recently
0: Oh, uh, okay Yeah, fair enough
1: And that's Ghastly Tales
0: Normal service for all resumes shortly You wish <laughs> But they are ghastly They're short They're snappy mm they're not designed to be super taxing so you know i think we have to give it a bit of a you know a forgiving review but yeah only the first one really pushes its envelope particularly much
1: first one almost had enough legs to start off a series that would have been really interesting
0: it definitely did yes i even had that note myself
3: mm. it's
1: almost like the werewolf story where clearly in the letters i think you can see readers being quite keen for, for more of that werewolf stuff i think they, they yes they, you know they draw a line between that story and cry of the werewolf and judge dread as we did mm-hmm. and say that's that more. sadly there was no more
0: but speaking of letters on the letters page yeah Shall we do regular features and covers? I'm sure it won't take long. Woo-hoo. Actually, <laughs> it won't, because there's a no lot to it. Covers, though, covers. We have some really nice covers this run of stories.
1: The 13th floor, Mr Bullock and the
0: The Sea Beast, nice and dark and gloomy. Mm. Very good. And in issue 15, we haven't quite got to it yet. We've got the Dracula file, Die Vampire Hunter. Not quite Die Vampire Hunter, Die, which would be a lovely Simpsons reference. But mm. Dracula must be destroyed. But how?
1: Yeah, and we never know.
0: Not in this run of stories. Yeah. No. What was your pick? My pick is Sea Beast.
1: Yep, the Oka Shocker.
0: They're all really good. They're all really eye-catching. Mm. But I've got to say, Sea Beast is the shocker, and they've sort of touted it the issue before, so you're primed and waiting for this this thing for a week.
1: Yeah, I'll go along with that. It's it's very good. Thirteenth Floor One is also really nice. Um, I think the color is a bit wonky on the Dracula one, um, which I find a bit off-putting
0: that might be the files we've got our issue 15 has, has come off the internet deal list, huh?
1: oh yeah, it's on the website yeah
0: yeah but I think someone's actually done some sort of digital tidy up on it oh I see which makes it look a bit different to what has come before
1: it sort of looks like it's taking place in broad daylight whereas in the story as we'll see yeah done
0: no inside we've got a couple of fun wee games like the sinister silhouettes mm-hmm. where you have to pick from the silhouette of the characters who they are from the comic book and that's followed the following week by a Ghostly Faces game, which is the same but different. Inside we've got minor celebrities, family and friends being turned into monsters.
1: As well as Boy George.
0: Yes, Bad Karma Chameleon his way into a vampire.
1: <laughs> and Lionel Blair. Yes. From um, Give Us give a us clue. clue. Yeah, And Crazy Caption for Day of the Triffits.
0: Yes, which we will put on the Facebook page, people, so you can have a go yourself because... Your answer's as good as any (laughs) of the ones that ever got printed. Although, I have to admit, Peter, Hmm. I did enjoy one of the Fiends and Neighbours funny strips this episode.
1: Well, why not? The one where they they
0: go shopping and have a bit of fun with tin cans going up the wrong way in the shops. It's very Rent-A-Ghost slapstick type stuff. It's very sort of late 70s, early 80s. I, I did have a soft spot for that one cartoon in 15 issues worth.
1: No, that's not bad going. I mean, and, and it's the one thing that people, well, one of the few things that people haven't really jumped on in terms of sort of let's bring screen back. They no, don't really tend to say let's have friends and neighbours. But
0: right. yeah, well, it is the odd one out mm. by a considerable, considerable way. But that's sort of it for regular features. There aren't any. It's dense full of comic. There's no ads. There's no nothing. Again, we still have this feeling that it's early days. But it's it's all killer no filler. No pun intended.
1: Yeah. One thing we haven't really talked about is the back covers, which have been a collage of horror scenes for quite a few issues now
0: well it, it's um monsters of the deep again with mm-hmm. a watery theme with sharks and octopuses octopus put- 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 octopuses. and moray eels
1: ah yes, I've a feeling is this one incomplete?
0: Yeah, I believe so, yeah, there's at least one missing, but you know, Peter, if you swim in the sea and you get bit on the knee, that's a moray. <laughs>
1: Speaking of detestable horrors, that joke being one. Ah, the next story is Monster by Rick Clark. You're not fooling anybody, John Wagner. Art by Jesus Redondo. Lettering by Pete Mm Bensberg. Young Kenny Corman and his disfigured and mentally challenged hulking Uncle Terry are on the run and seeking a doctor in Cromarty to treat Terry. They've chanced across a large garden where the wounded Kenny can rest. But entering the grounds, Terry is attacked by two Dobermen and struggles to fight them off before they're called off by their owner, Mrs. McCrone, a blind woman <laughs> who feeds them, and muses on Terry's appetite.
0: Because we've not read Frank this have we? No, no,
1: no, no, no. Well, put a pin in it. his appetite and his eating manners as he polishes off a plate of scones. But when Kenny follows her into the kitchen to help clean up, he discovers her on the phone, reporting them to the police. He's shouting at the woman and the noise draws in Terry who makes to kill Mrs. McCrone until it's Kenny's turn to call his creature off and save her life.
0: And all together now, dear listeners, no oh no, Uncle Terry, Jerry, not again. There's
1: going to be a lot of it this month. <laughs> Nevertheless, the two must flee and make off on the motorbike just as the police arrive, spotting their escape. There's a chase and the police make to cut them off. Kenny cuts a corner and the bike skids off the road. The two fall and Kenny is knocked cold. As the policemen approach, Terry attacks them, throwing one and tipping the other in his car down a bank. Terry, win! But Kenny wakes and scolds his uncle. Uncle, Terry, what's pointing going on with our journey when you keep doing things like that? I told you, no more killings! The bikes are right off, and they head off on foot, Terry seeming to take possibly too much pleasure in the fun of kill, kill, run, run plenty fun
0: Terry does Einstein special
1: (laughs) (laughs) both policemen fortunately do recover uh, and they radio base later in a cold heavy drizzle Terry and Kenny reach the coast Cromarty is still out of reach but then Kenny spots a nearby fishing village could they sail there as they make their way to the village which is called Strather Inspector Halley is at the scene of the downed panda car and quickly puts the pieces together Both cops are alive, but Terry's violent scorecard reads five dead, and Halley wants the monster, as he's now calling them, back. Back in Skatha, though, Kenny approaches some local fishermen with money to hire a boat, but nobody will sail in this weather, and worse, Terry's been recognized because Halley has made sure his likeness is known across the entire district. The result is inevitable, although Kenny does his level best to prevent Terry's deadly score increasing. Threatening ultimately their own friendship, just as Terry is about to club a fisherman to death with an oar, the police arrive just then.
0: <laughs> and she was really unimpressed.
1: <laughs> Terry and Kenny leg it to the nearest boat. If they won't rent us a boat, we'll just have to take one. Next week, swim. Why swim?
0: We continue our naughty, naughty nautical theme. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but that's Monster.
1: Um, I detect a real shift in, as I sort of described before, Terry's starting to like the killing a little bit much. And I mm. I wonder, if, if this had been an Alan Moore storyline, where would this have gone from here? But it's John Wagner. Um, and we will see where it goes, of course, because Monster will have a second life.
0: I have to really be honest. I found it really hard to get into Monster. I don't know why. It's the melodrama of it, perhaps. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But once they're sort of out of the house and and littlest hoboing their way across the countryside, yep. it doesn't seem to grab me as much as Thirteenth Floor or Dracula File or, or The Night even.
1: Mm, that's fair enough.
0: It's not so much a, it's not a horror. It's horrible. There's a monster in it, mm. but it doesn't have that horror edge, which is probably why it's perfect to transition into Eagle. But again, we've also got this other situation. We have characters and they have a story and it's got legs. It doesn't stop easily at the end of an issue. There's always something happening.
1: Yeah, okay. maybe the problem is that, as you say, once they leave the house, the whole backstory of Terry's family is gone. Mm. And and Kenny's family. They're just two other victims at the, at the beginning of the story, and it's about Kenny and Terry. But I have hope that this relationship and Terry's change might be enough to sort of keep us going.
0: But I don't know. We'll we'll see. I do vaguely remember it all from the days of Eagle, and I don't I'm not saying it's bad, don't get me wrong, but it's the one I'm least engaged in, which is mm. very surprising, I find.
1: Well, of course, in the pages of Eagle, we've got something a little bit similar going on with the brothers. So...
0: Uh, uh, yeah, but even there, because it's a freak accident, uh, in the brothers and Eagle, the monster has reverted from being a normal boy. Terry is a-, a figure of real, you know, people with deformities were locked in the attic. mm it's not that, you say, all Victorian times. No, mm-hmm. there were places you'd send relatives right into the 60s. You know, it's...
1: <laughs> if you've seen The Crown. Yes. No, I, ha-
0: I haven't watched The Crown. Okay. But there are evidence of it happening through... Well, Kennedys and people like that.
1: Hmm. Speaking of gothic horrors, of course, Dave. Oh,
0: well, yes. Rounding us out, we end as we started with The Dracula File. Script by Simon Furman Art by Eric Bradbury Letters by John Aldrich In a story I like to call Transylvanian Cutaway (laughs) Yes Again I'll just make a wee note here In the Hibernia books Again we're not going to steal their thunder But there is an interview with Simon Furman And he does refer to becoming the placeholder writer For Dracula File And at one point doing a whole script Don't know for an episode or for a story In a night And I wonder if this might be it
1: if it was, it's a jolly good one.
0: Oh, yeah, not not knocking it, just adding a bit of local colour, as Dracula does to the locals. <laughs> Previously on the Dracula file, it doesn't matter, because all this is in the <laughs> past. Dracula now recalls the scene back in 1892, when the townsfolk of Eurostad... Eurostar, mm, ...stormed his <laughs> castle with torches and blazing pitchforks. <laughs> <laughs> what? Dracula shuts down his defiance from a high balcony before slipping out of an escape tunnel to feed on the defenceless victims the brave men had left behind in the village.
1: That's crafty.
0: Yes, here's one he made earlier.
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's good game, Dracula.
0: (laughs) Meanwhile, the rabble break through the castle doors only to be met by a horde of undead minions including a pretty young girl who proceeds to chow down on the hapless rioters. Meanwhile, back in the village, not a prisoner reference, the cunning count finds the fair maidens of the village hidden in the local church and uses his malignant mesmeric influence to entice two women out for a bite to eat. Several hours later, a coach arrives in the terrified township and an Englishman, Alexander Quinn and his gigantic mute man servant, Kyle, disembark on their mission to end this evil. Next issue. Dracula's Dinner Guests, which I assume is a reference to Bram Stoker's Dracula's, Dracula's Guest. Guest. Yeah, The vampire is forewarned by the creatures of the night, who don't look too rabid in this issue. But hubris and boredom mean the Count is intrigued rather than defensive and he invites Quinn to dinner. Carl is sent to the servants' quarters where he is accosted by two of Dracula's vampiric slaves. But the giant makes short, silent work of the fiends before staking one and defenestrating the other. (laughs) Let's
1: be honest, if you're a giant, all work is short.
0: They work, true. Meanwhile, the gloves are off as Quinn confronts the Count with a cross, explaining he seeks vengeance for the vampirization of his wife during Dracula's last trip over the UK border. But he is stopped by the Count's all-too-human Thrall and Butler, Reeves, and Dracula advances on him, the vampire hunter becoming the hunted. In issue 15, back in the front of the comic, huzzah! Mm. Suddenly, Carl appears. He too has a score to settle with Dracula, and as the two titans struggle, Quinn throws off the malevolent manservant. Dracula overcomes Carl and sends him reeling against a wall, but Quinn lobs some holy water at the fiend, burning his face like acid and sending Dracula retreating to the roof, where he cools down the elements, knocking his pursuers back with a bolt of lightning. As Dracula lifts the stunned Carl to throw him off the roof and in the nice cover image, not at daytime, Quinn grabs a branch set ablaze by the lightning and strikes, lashing out at the vampire, sending him tumbling down into the abyss below the castle ramparts. But beware, notes Quinn, he may yet rise again. And rise I did, says Dracula, in a tell-not-show single-panel cutaway about would-be-devil worshippers reviving him but he is ready for stackus now and this new vampire hunter will surely die. Never the end. And no next time card or anything.
1: No. Attention Simon Furman, I would very much be interested in a Quinn and Carl series.
0: Well, that's that's one of the things with the Dracula file. He sort of acknowledges he was writing this as a holding pattern thing. Mm. But the Dracula file doesn't have legs. We are talking before about how max is a character and he has legs and how the monster even if it's i'm not engaging with it you can see there's a story to tell Mm. the cat and mouse game of starkus and dracula can't go on forever and as a comparison by issue 13 in eagle doomlord one had ended yeah so you you have to have the point where you introduce this other set of characters or you have to introduce other people to hunt Dracula, or another storyline to keep everything rolling. And that's why I was a bit dismissive of this whole thing where he said, and how did he recover of oh, some magic? Magic stuff happened, and, you know, it's not got
1: momentum. It's weird, because it, it's almost written like a uh, well, this is our last issue great news readers, but it's not.
0: <laughs> it's not. No, they didn't know that. But that, That's why it's really odd they don't have a, a, a next time mm. cutout. out. Although, I, again, I do wonder if the issue we've got for issue 15 somehow been doctored and that's a scan from something else or something's been tidied up or something mm,
1: again know. it seems to be the one that's online mm. I felt like I got more out of this episode than I have in some previous episodes of Starkus yeah I, I, I think that, that that Quinn and Carl or Quinn in particular has a backstory fed in a couple of lines that I was waiting to get from Starkus and I didn't because Starkus has mm. became this unstoppable force meeting an irresistible... Yes. Blah, blah, blah. And as you say, it's a cat-and-mouse game which becomes progressively less exciting as it fails to
0: draw anything else in these Yes, two men chasing each other around the place. Yeah, uh, the, 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 there is a shelf life to that sort of... Not, not to say that they couldn't have developed it in many interesting ways, but how that would have worked is a bit of a, a grey... Area. But again, Dracula is a character. You can do anything with Dracula except get rid of him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And in fact, Dracula does appear in
0: the annuals uh, to come. Yes.
1: In a manner of speaking.
0: And will appear in the recent Scream and Misty revamps. Mm -hmm. And we say things must end and the Captain Mouse game can't go on forever. That gets resolved. We might cover that one (laughs) day. Yes. But that's Scream. There are little bits of history and little bits of. Stories and little bits of fragments and things that get reused of the holiday specials, which we may get round to covering. Mm. But at this stage, we're at the point where screen stopped. Yes,
1: and as alluded to, it didn't stop out of design. It was hit by the printer's strike.
0: Well, was it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> According to Barry Tomlinson, that was the first blow, and the second blow appears to be that management were nervous about it.
0: Yeah, I, I would put it the other way around. Scream was, had positioned itself simply by being the wrong comic mm. for the English market, which since the days of Eagle had always rebelled against horror and stuff like that to make the executives nervous. So there were institutional reasons why when the Printer strike came and there was some other industrial action that required some other stuff to happen as well. Mm. Again, leave that to Hibernia to sort of poke around with a bit. But there was a reason why Scream was the first on the block to go.
1: Yeah, it's like several vehicles sort of going into a tunnel and only a handful come out at the end.
0: Which is a plot for a
1: ghastly to Peter. Oh, up, yes. Sure. I mean, it's, it's Dracula all over it. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, uh, sadly, that, that's your lot. Subsequently, in the annuals, as you say, Dave, and in It's Ghastly, with splendid work done by David MacDonald at Hibernia and, and his team of, of writers and researchers, you could tantalisingly almost mock up some issues to follow but they wouldn't be the issues that we, were, we, we would have liked to have got that's it
0: <laughs> one other thing the scream being the way it is and there's evidence of managerial tinkering and fiddling you know terror of the cats is the one story that hasn't lasted this run but I only found out subsequently to our doing coverage of it that was pulled the ending had to be completely rewritten it had to be wrapped up in three issues Mm. There were things going on in the background that made screen less tenable.
1: Mm. I get the feeling that it, that it never stopped being tinkered with, actually. Yes. Uh, and, and it just bewildered me that, that the, the amount of ads in it was so few. And I can't work out why. I don't know whether anybody's asked that
0: question. I wonder if it's because we're comparing it to Eagle. Mm. And the thing is, Eagle was you know, high print cost, lots of color pages in its early run. They didn't have the ad space set up to sell, maybe, in the early issues of Scream. Mm. Or they were trying to push it and get their market share and get their, what is it, three months' worth of stories or whatever. There's a minimum number you get before the Match Latched and Dispatch mm. starts playing a factor to it, which Conrad was talking about.
1: Which, if we're talking three months, it got and nearly got a fourth. Mm. From there, as as we mentioned, um, there are some, some specials some of which are really worth looking at Mm. and hopefully we will cover those in time.
0: But taking a wider overview Peter, to to use our traditional system what's your pick for best and worst? Oh
1: indeed, Uh, look the best for this month I am look I'm going to stick with the 13th floor, Mm -hmm. but I would place the Dracula file as a strong second I I did appreciate the little vignette that we had. You?
0: I'm actually going to say Sea Beast yeah. i know it sounds weird but it's it's a proof of concept for something that could have two week portmanteau stories works for the tales from the grave why not push other things out and tales of the grave well it's been great for what we've seen the sea it's like dracula the seams are starting to show a bit so mm. you've got to be able to tweak the format and tweak a few things along the way mm. and i think that's where Scream would have ended up going with a few more longer form short stories
1: yeah I'm confident that they had the writing talent to be able to do that. Jamie Tomlinson? Yes. Future of Scream, I think, just in the, in the two stories he's provided.
0: Simon Furman, he's just started in the job of being an editor, mm-hmm. just starting the job of writing copy, and we get that Dr- run of Dracula file out of him. He did the Sea Beast. He also did Terror of the Cats, batshit crazy ending. <laughs> but it hung together. hmm yeah, we've seen stories that just fall to pieces and and sort of peter out. You know, something landed, mm. <laughs> whether it stuck that landing or not is open to interpretation. So yes, it had the capability to survive. I just don't think it had the manage. You know, the manage. If if it wasn't the printer strike, it would have been something else.
1: Mm. Shame though, no. and yet, you know, it it endures,
0: and we will see the legacy of it an eagle in some things. I th- I think there's a bit of There's some stories coming up in Eagle that, apart from being directly imported, bear some of the legacy of Scream.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think possibly it's been to Eagle's strength that Scream has been around, and it's maybe set a bit of a shift in Eagle. Mm.
0: But under different circumstances, it could have been the horror equivalent of 2000 AD that everyone really wanted it to be.
1: How long would you have given it?
0: If it stole Eagle's lunch, hmm. it could have lasted into the the late eighties. I think. I think hmm. there's a point. There's a point where where nothing that isn't 2000 survived. Yeah. I think the the problem would be two thousand eighty had established itself to grow up with its readership.
3: Hmm.
0: I'm not sure Screen would have had time to do that.
1: No, it would have. It would have needed a yeah a good left hand turn. Yep. To do that. I mean, ambitiously, possibly up to 1990, but I think realistically maybe 1987 and i think that probably would have been it for scream the ground was changing
0: yeah there's a point where eagle does a, it zigs where it should have zagged i think and yeah. and yeah scream would have had, had this similar problem and your listener well that's about it really
1: don't oh, you have a nagging feeling we've forgotten something
0: what like an authoritative voice on uk horror history or a first person account mm. of from when scream came out well, yeah,
1: yeah, something like that
3: would be good. What do you think?
0: Ah, we'll fix it in post. I've got all these podcast editing books from the local lending library. Mm. They were in the neo necromancy section. Yeah. Oh, oh, that reminds me. I- I've got to return all these back issues of Scream before the head librarian starts chasing us.
1: Ah, what's it been? 45
0: years? It'll
1: be fine. Fine, get it? <laughs> library humour.
0: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, speaking of the head librarian. Hello, folks. Oh, my goodness. It's Jim Moon. <laughs> Jim Moon of Hypnagoria, who, if you've not heard of, of him, go listen to him now.
2: <laughs> no, no, not now. Not now. No. <laughs> After this. Yeah. How are you, sir? I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm just about ready for Christmas, which makes a change for me. I'm normally working till last minute, but this year I'm out got it right. So Fantastic. And Christmas, of course, is usually a very busy time for Hypnogoria. Oh, it is. It's endless Christmas specials. And uh, my site, Hypnogoria.com, has its own advent calendar that takes you different things every day. And uh, due to my complete lack of coding skills, that means making sure I'm up and about to make sure the damn thing works every day. <laughs> 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 I know the feeling now, d-
0: just a- another fact dear if you haven't realised Jim was gracious enough to be the voice of our ghastly McNasty for all our episodes to date and we, we thank you greatly for that Jim mm. that was great fun to do oh good, did you have a ghastly in your head since the days of reading it because it comes to mind that you're actually our first native Brit who would have actually been getting these issues at the
2: time Oh absolutely, Um, I mean I used to get 2000AD and I used to get the Eagle as well regularly and I remember seeing an ad in 2000AD for the first issue of Scream and I was like yep I'm going to be all over that (laughs) and uh, I got all my comics delivered from the local news agent you put in like a subscription and they deliver them along with the papers Mm -hmm. and they used to come Saturday morning So they had a glorious run of, uh, what, 15 or so weeks where every Saturday I got two comics rather than one. And, um, yeah, then it stopped. (laughs) (laughs) And there was much gnashing of teeth, much pestering of the newsagent. Where's number 16? Where's number 16? (laughs) Strike on, (laughs) son! Were those teeth being gnashed, the
1: original uh, plastic fangs from uh, issue one?
2: They did get used, actually. I mean, around the same time as Scream... In the UK, a popular toy for a couple of years was a horror makeup kit uh, that was uh, signed off and uh, designed by legendary makeup artist Dick Smith, who did the effects oh, for yeah. The Godfather and um, The Exorcist. Yeah. And you got this kit, and it had like fake hair and fake blood and various bits of makeup, obviously. And but the big thing was you got something. That Dick Smith made himself this kind of a gelatin-based thing called Flex Flesh, and you got uh, all <laughs> these uh, like plastic trays of wounds and scars, and you sort of mixed it up. It was kind of like like uh, gelatin, just like a jelly, really. A, a non savory yeah. one. Don't eat it, kids. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you, could, you could then just got spirit gum and glue all this crap to your face, and uh, pull it off later with eye-watering pain. But um, <laughs> I, I did a lot of makeups with this to, to anyone who would sit and receive my attentions, an awful lot of myself. And obviously, you had to do a vampire, and the, the plastic fangs from Scream could get used a lot, even though they didn't fit too good. But uh, you know, you had to, you know, it's the law. <laughs> plastic yeah, fangs course. must be worn. <laughs> yeah, and after that was the spider, of course. Oh yes, the enemy of windows, and um, don't point out the window. <laughs> It'll mark. <laughs> That's the phrase I can't associate with that, with that particular novelty item, thanks to my mother. <laughs> Though my sister did get ambushed by the spider quite a few times. Excellent. Uh, which is rather bad because she's actually properly arachnophobic. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is now. <laughs> yes. Well, I might have had a hand in that, yes. And that was it for free gifts. It was
1: a shame. No scream spinner, as per Eagle in 2000 AD, but... You could have had quite a bit of mileage from TAT, I guess, with Scream, because it's a very physical medium, as you say, the dressing up and the participating lends itself well to you know the activities of youngsters.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think kind of back in uh, those days of comics, you'd always get a free gift with Issue 1 and 2, maybe Issue 3, and then it was kind of, you might get one just completely randomly... Uh- <laughs> For no Mm. reason at all. (laughs) And it was either due that the title was needed a sales boost, or IPC or DC Thompson had got a large consignment of crap from somewhere they were going to offload as a promotion. (laughs) Not so much with 2000 AD. It happened occasionally, I seem to remember. But more so the DC titles. Even now and again, your beano, your dandy had come with some kind of Candy bar was normally appalling, Mm. you know what I mean? It's Mm. kind of there's an overrun of these, and (laughs) that's the try to you know drum up some sales. Eagle had the spud gun, that's right. Yes, yes, it was pretty good. I remember actually, it worked. (laughs) And the infamous 3D issue, imagine
1: if Scream had gone 3D.
2: Well, if it'd been around long enough, it would have been so. Was (laughs) that not a revival of 3D, but kind of a craze for it in the UK? And at the time, um, Eagle did the 3D issue. There were several like 3D TV shows, mainly just mm. for novelty value. But it was kind of someone thought, "Oh, we'll sort of bring these, try and bring it back." And around the same time, you got the uh, that flurry of eighties 3D, yep. Jaws 3D, Friday the, the mm. Teeth Part Three in 3D, and Amateur mm. Three in 3D coming at you. Absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, it's kind of Scream would have been superb for that uh, treatment. Yeah. At
0: the time, do you recall if it actually had a an impact on the comic reading public, your, your mates at school and things? Did screen make a splash?
2: People were quite excited by it because, it. Um, I mean, at the time, in the 80s, horror did have a somewhat different cachet. I think now it, it's seen as a lot more acceptable, thanks to, you know, Supernatural, Buffy, The Walking Dead... Mm. All the, all the video games were like Resident Evil and stuff like this. It's, it's something, it's mm. horror's quite mainstream now. In the mm. 80s, uh, we were still coming off the back of. Well, first we, we had the, in Britain, we had the big video nasty scare. But then we'd had all the ridiculous satanic panic about heavy metal mm. and being too violent. And, you know, for Britain, as well as, uh, say, for, for you guys in your part of the world, you know, in the 50s, you had had. A scare over horror comics and horror comics have been something that the comics market didn't do and they shied away from so it was kind of really any sort of horror comic that appeared because Marvel UK launched a couple of like short-lived ones around for a couple of issues and then stop so to get like one of the British publishers you're doing a traditional British weekly comic anthology style large format black and white that was quite exciting because one of the draws of 2000 AD was that often there was really, really uh, weird and scary stuff in there. Mm. And, you know, there was a lot of excitement about Scream, I remember, at the time, of people, you know, were talking about it in, in the schoolyard, as it were. And, uh, and again, there was much kind of, what's happened to Scream? Why has it stopped? <laughs> Where's it gone? <laughs> there wasn't one this week. Did you get one? No, I didn't get one. Mm. So, yeah, I think it did make a big impact, and certainly... I mean, I think, you know, one of the first kind of comic fan sites I came across online was, was the Scream fan site, you know, in the very late 90s, you know what I mean? And it's, a lot of people remembered mm. it. And maybe it was a case of you know, it burned brightly but burned shortly. But all the same, you know, there's a whole generation of kids who sort of, you know, for 15 glorious weeks, we had a horror comic of our own, a, prop, you know, a proper one, not mm. kind of a reprints of American stuff. And that was fairly unprecedented. Uh, well,. I say unprecedented. Of course, there were two, been two long-running girls' titles, Spellbound and Misty, but you know, boys couldn't buy a girl's comic. <laughs> that was absolutely <laughs> taboo. You, you might get to peek at one if your sister or a cousin bought it, or you saw one in a dentist's or a doctor's waiting room. But you know, you weren't allowed to buy a girl's comic, which was a shame because Misty, uh, what was a fantastic title and very much kind of a huge influence on on the format off screen. Mm. Although uh, the limited amount I
0: have seen of Misty, it's very much more a, a, a gothic, creepy title rather than mm. Scream can be a bit full on with you know cats lacerating babies and Uncle Terry <laughs> running around breaking necks and taking names.
1: Maybe more supernatural than the Scream, as you say. Yeah.
2: Well, I think so. I think kind of Misty was kind of more. Sort of sophisticated and suspenseful, and sort of chiller territory. Whereas, Scream I always felt sort of leaned more into Hammer horror and mm. the sort of schlock approach. It's quite it's quite interesting to compare the two because in many ways that they both uh, w- would fit together. I was, I've always kind of surprised that there were reprints from Misty turning up in Scream, knowing how IPC and Fleetway can be <laughs> sure. bit, yeah. can recycle, shall we say. <laughs> It's interesting, though, because both comics never really nailed what 2018, what Eagle did, which was to have these sort of iconic characters to carry strips for you know for years and years. I mean, Eagle obviously had Doomlord, Dan Dare, 2000 Year Strontium Dog, Judge Dread, whereas Misty didn't really have an ongoing character-led series like that. It was always no. short stories and sort of longer serials. Curse of the Cats in Scream could have run in Misty quite easily. In fact, there is a very similar story in Misty about cat goddesses <laughs> returning to wreak havoc. Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: I think there was a cat amulet giveaway in, in one of the issues. Oh, that's sort of right, yes. yeah. That.
2: Lucky black yeah. cat charm. Yeah. <laughs> Whether Scream would have developed that, I don't know. But I suspect he would have, because Misty ran for about... Couple of years, it clocked up over a hundred issues, but they never, they never cracked that way to have an ongoing series. Mm -hmm. I think Scream was interesting because you had the Nightcomers, which potentially could have done that, Mm -hmm. and then the Dracula file, I I think had potential, but at the same time, it is kind of I think as you mentioned, (laughs) how long can you just cat and mouse with Dracula? Mm. why what I love the Dracula file, the the last sort of few episodes include and including all the uh, reappearances in the specials, you are in this kind sort of endless sort of time loop of I nearly got him. Oh, he got away.. Yeah.
0: <laughs> did you stay with Eagle through the the run of Monster and Max? Uh, did you get Eagle to the end, or did you i I know there's a point where Eagle doesn't grow up with its readership and in fact does the opposite, I think.
2: I was getting Eagle anyway, and so I was still getting it. And I kind of drifted away from Eagle when I got to like my six form years. Uh, and whereas I felt 2008 at that point was, as you say, growing up with the reader, it was getting a lot more sort of knowing, and and Thug was getting a bit worryingly groovy. <laughs> 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 but but the Eagle then it absorbed was it Action Force. Mm. And, yes. uh, and it started yeah. sort of gobbling up a few of these sort of kiddie comics as I saw them uh, that, you know, mm. are very much aimed at a younger readership. I always felt kind of Eagle had kind of, once it lost that glorious all-colour formula, mm. it just started to feel like an other boy's comic. I was still buying it, mainly for Dan Dare and Doomlord. Although there were some other good stories in the run, but I felt it kind of, he lost a bit of its identity. But when, it st- when you could start to getting to into the uh, the Hatch Match Dispatch <laughs> yes, kind of yeah. formula and it, it's gobbling up other titles. I knew from experience that was usually a sign that this title itself didn't have long before there was a bigger shark in the water. Normally Buster, who would uh, swallow it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ironically enough, our cat's named Buster and he swallows <laughs> a lot of things.
1: Right? <laughs> 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 We've yet to come to the Tiger Years of Eagle but I, I'm assuming that there's a little bit of of a tug-of-war there, just just in how it, it's posited on the cover, uh, Eagle and Tiger, but they're almost given the same sort of space and uh, all crikey. There's probably a, an episode in that on its own, isn't there, Dave?
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we are probably getting ahead of ourselves a bit. We certainly are. As a developing mind being influenced by these horror comics, Jim, anything stand out to you as formative, especially given your, uh, your future as a, a, a horror podcaster and commentator?
2: one that when scream came out it was just at the age where I was um seeing like a lot of the hammer Draculas for the first time I just discovered that you could go to bigger cities and there were comic shops where you could get proper American comics not British reprints and uh, like the all the first sort of collections and reprints of the original EC comics were just starting to become available so scream was very much exactly at the right time and the right age for me and and certainly kind of the the sort of contemporary 1980s Dracula does still to this day, I think it's a shame we don't have some kind of a Dracula franchise running in the way you kind of, you had the universal Dracula saga, but more importantly, the hammer one, um, yeah. which does have a strong continuity. Despite kind of a few soft reboots along the way, but I've always felt kind of, hey, it's still rubbing the world for the old monsters. You know what I mean? And if it, the 1980s Dracula franchise was to be in the page of Scream, I think that's a worthy legacy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I have a great admiration and love for horror comics, and you know, this one was mine, really. As I say, because it only lasted so briefly and then stopped so abruptly, I think that adds to its legendary status. It was like it just vanished back into the void in many <laughs> ways, So without any sort of explanation, or which was good because you always dreaded a... Uh, that issue of a comic that had the great news inside, chums, you know, really. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's almost eerie that it doesn't have that, of course. You know, it's a, it, it, as you say, it's just absolutely cut off, mysteriously.
2: Absolutely.
0: And there's a good few months hiatus between it sort of suddenly appearing an eagle. Whereas
2: well, that thing that never explained these things in the comic, or very rarely. It was just, you know, business as usual. I remember there had been a previous strike that disrupted 2000AD's printing for about 4 weeks and I remember exactly when it was because the the issue that was delayed would have the last part of the 4 part Max Zero story (laughs) which I was completely hooked on and I remember just being (laughs) in horrible suspense for over a month and also beginning to worry, is the comic ever coming back? There was no way to find out what was happening, it just just didn't turn up week after week I think it was 4, it might have been 6 weeks actually and then it did reappear, no explanation. Until about a couple of months later there was a Tharg Future Shock, which he told the story of how the dictators of Zrag had tried to close down two thousand AD and that was the only whiff <laughs> of an explanation you got. And so it was quite weird when suddenly like, What, thirteenth floor? Doom Lord gonna be an eagle You so, Oh, that's hmm. what happened. Well, why didn't they say so? On the street, you know we had no idea there'd been a a strike and the other issues behind the scenes. So it was it was a bit strange, but also I was kind of quite glad to see them continue because the thirteenth floor is a strip that I think was the, my real favourite in Scream. Hmm. And when I've gone back to it, certainly I think you're like it's a really good idea, really interesting idea, and kind of quite ahead of its time in a way. A lot of things based around computers from the eighties very much aren't. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Well, it's. It's sort of tragic really that in in the pages of Screeb it hasn't even really kicked off you know, the story of Max. it doesn't really happen until he goes to Eagle that his crimes begin to be found out, and suddenly mm. Max is on the on the back foot, and then you've got a story as far as I'm concerned, you know you you see a different side to him
2: well, in the pages of Screeb, it was kind of the thirty floor you so did say he didn't get the story till the eagle era, yeah. but it did week after week. Deliver the really good jolt I wanted from a horror comic, <laughs> whereas a lot of the one-off stories could be kind of a bit hit and miss. A monster mm. was more tragic than horrible, and Dracula—you mm. always sound a bit on Dracula's side. But in the Thirteenth Floor, though, he <laughs> really was sort of seeing, serving up those ec styles sort of shocks. Kind of, he's such and such a character and now here's something horribly dark and tedious but also ironic and a bit funny that's going to happen to him.
1: <laughs> that fantastic giant video game with the text or the, you know, the text collectors. Yes, I love the title of the text collectors. I mean, they
2: became quite <laughs> iconic, I think. Cause they often used to yeah. turn up in uh, posters for the 13th floor, so they definitely struck a chord. <laughs> in terms of um, what survived into the Pages of Eagle, of course, that monster in the 13th floor, do you think they got it right? Would you have speared any others? Well, the thing is, and with I think like a Misty got merged into a girls' comic. Basically, that didn't really feel like a merger because all it meant was Anthology Girls' comic for a while. Katie ran a one-off spooky story, which was hosted by Misty. It wasn't really the same. And to be honest, they ran off one-off spooky stories anyway. You know what I mean? It's a, it's part of mm. the, the mm. British comic lineup is you have Thargs Future Shocks or Time Swisters or whatever and you know that runs through a lot of titles so that didn't feel like a merger and Scream could have had the same fate very much of kind of, oh here's the gravedigger to tell you a horror story kids and that's your eagle for the week, you know what I mean Mm. Um, so I was pleased that I picked up two of the ongoing strips and actually carried them on because in the event of a merger that was always the terrible thing that you'd been following a strip and then it wasn't going to get picked up, and then Poochie went back to his own planet and we never spoke to him again. <laughs> sort of, sort of endings. Sort of curious
1: that John Wagner's behind both of those stories, but maybe it's the strength of his writing.
2: Well, he was a busy boy. <laughs> I mean, he, he was kind of, um...
1: <laughs> even an eagle.
2: Well, that's it. He's writing 2000 D, he's writing in Eagle, he's writing in 2000 and D often under maybe three different names. Yeah. <laughs> Man's a legend, you know, and uh, always writing quality stuff as well, that was the thing. It was all killer, no filler.
1: And when he's with Alan Grant, you've got two powerhouses there.
2: Absolutely. They're just a dream combination. It's very hard to spot who wrote what, if you know what I mean, because they just work together just so well and their sensibilities just align beautifully. Mm. I mean, it's phenomenal, really, because you consider what an absolute sausage factory British comics were.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So in in terms of Scream Severance, uh, of course, there were were some annuals that sort of trickled through the next four years, I think. Did did any of those sort of make their
2: way into the local shop? The the annuals I tended to avoid because I did remember to glance at the first one, thinking, this is not up to the 2000 AD yearbook mm. sort the of standards who set a high bar for annuals uh, once they hit their stride you know a lot of annuals were quite lazy and by the time the screen annuals coming out I'd, I'd got wise to kind of this is guff reprints and filler <laughs> you know <laughs> okay. what I mean in a hardback book I was going to spend my pocket money wisely but I did pick up uh, the, the magazine specials though because they looked oh there's actually a new Dracula file in these I'll buy this mm. and it was, was that hope of will it come back? Ah, no it won't <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting it did sort of continue in this strange sort of half-life. That's how strong the brand was, though. Mm. And I think that's very telling, and that um, they should have resurrected it, because I think there was a market there for it. And the fact that these specials... They had this, you know, two or three years of specials and annuals. Mm. If you think of, like, Tornado, that was that was a big deal. Star-Lord, even. They, they never mm. got to come back on their own for specials or annuals. They they were you know swallowed up by other titles and it was a done deal you know what Smart. I mean. Um, mm-hmm. it, so it's, it's kind of it's curious that the uh, scream went into this undead special state as it were. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of too many other titles who, who did that. Given the the strength of the brand,
0: was it that horrific as a kid reading it compared to other stuff? I mean, if you think of Harlem Heroes and people getting their faces burnt off in acid in 2000 AD. Is the leper
2: really that scary? I never thought the leper was terribly scary. He was kind of. Uh, I can see what you're going for, but it just. You've not not nailed the character. And certainly, if you're talking scary comics for people of my generation, trying to outgruesome and creep out the first two Judge Death stories from 2000 AD mm. is a bit of a tall order. Because they are genuinely horrific and genuinely frightening. Before he like you know, the comedy alien super fiend, but mm-hmm. you know, in in the the first one, it is just genuinely very gothic and just the idea that his this travesty of a judge, you can literally reach inside and squeeze your heart till it stops. I mean, there they were the high watermark, and right, that's scary. That's really, really, really messed up. And once you get you know, <laughs> Judge Mortis, who's just touching people and leaving piles of decayed corpses. Rendered in beautiful detail by Brian Bolland everywhere it's kind of like, whoa, that's that's the high bar. <laughs> I Man, I think I think uh, Eric Bradbury's Dracula really came off the page well and looked really. It had atmosphere and menace, and I've spoken on uh, other casts. I've guessed it on. i don't know how, kind of what I liked about Bradbury's Dracula is that he's very much the antidote to um, all the Anne Rice Twilight mm. romantic mm. vampires. Bradbury's Dracula looks absolutely scabberous and pestilent. You know what I mean? He looked... yeah, you oh he's got the evening dress and he that sort of dark nobleman look, but also he looks he does look leprous in a way that the leper just looks like Come on you crusty fool, get it get it together, comb your hair
1: <laughs> He'll never scrub up well. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> With regard to the leper uh, and the Tales from the Grave series, I was thinking today about how was always stuck in the in the 19th century and whether it, there was an attempt there to sort of plumb the penny dreadful element of what i would loosely sort of group as a uk horror tradition
2: am i going down the right track <laughs> no i think so cause it was i thought it was interesting that they tried to to give that sort of strand of stories a linked flavor mm. it's one of the, if he ran a bit longer i, I think he'd have more probably hit its stride the same way in future shocks, the first ones were just any old short story a freelancer sent in that'll do mm. uh, and it, it took a it took a while before it sort of, sort of nailed what makes a future shock and what kind of stories are we telling here. Well if you look at the early ones they 're very much a grab bag of all sorts of different science fiction stories, and then the, they gradually get the idea that you really just have to be a shock at the end. The Tales from the Grave. The idea of say a grave digger, and you've got all these period set stories. I mean, it is opening up the door to to go in and play in the world of Hammer horror and uh, have fun with all the old gothic classics. Mm. Use all those big dressing up boxes of classic horror tropes. That was a nice. I thought it was a good concept. Um, I don't think it really came to fruition in the actual run of Scream. But it was interesting because it's very easy to set up, oh, here's a character, and he'll tell you a story. That's a classic way of doing it. But to make more of it than that is rarer, shall we say. So, yeah, hats off for them for uh, getting the concept down.
1: Perhaps the leper needed to be responsible for some of the bodies. There's a story.
2: <laughs> well, absolutely. I think, you know, if you'd ran on, that, that's something that probably would have come because that's often how uh, these things go. I mean, everyone knows of the, you know, the great pulp hero, the Shadow. What a lot of people don't realise is the Shadow was originally just a host for crime stories. Mm. And, you know, uh, he made such an impact that they put him in a story, and now he's forgotten he he started out as as a story host. Pulling the clock forward to the present day,
0: have you been following the new Misty Scream Halloween specials and and the such recently?
2: Uh, Yes, I have sort of bought them sort of faithfully. Uh, I've had a lot of fun with them, but it's it's I'm not quite shaken sure off that old feeling. I have going. Mm, it's just another special. You're not bringing it back properly. are you? <laughs> yeah. and mm. There's something that kind of wakes up my inner grouchy teenage man. <laughs> kind of, that kind of like, <laughs> the, uh, uh, I'll take it, but are you going to do it properly? Come on, bring it back properly. Come on, you, you know you want to. <laughs> and certainly, I think that the while the nature of these anthologies are they've been a bit hit and miss in the content. Generally, when they, when they have landed it, you go, no, there's potential here. And it's kind of a shame because, I mean, Keck W did this wonderful uh, revival of Black Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, a four-part story being told over four or five years. <laughs> it's kind of irritating uh-huh. that most people will pick up and read an episode and go, well, that was interesting, but it goes nowhere. Mm. And, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, Come on, have a bit more faith in it, Rebellion. I think, you know, there's a big market out there for Scream and Misty. Although I would say the specials have felt more like a Scream venture than a Misty venture. Mm. Misty's very much just there in name only, and the kind of stories they're doing are more Scream than Misty. But I think Misty needs a different approach. Although they seem like a natural pairing, they don't really work together. They don't work together as hosts either. Mm. It does feel, it's really Gastly's pulling all the strings and Misty's making the tea. (laughs) (laughs) But there's definitely a market there, you think, for
0: a weekly, a monthly, and more special than special.
2: Well, in the current climate I think you'd struggle to launch a weekly comic just through the nature of how comics have sort of declined really in the UK. Something that still to this day breaks my heart. You know, I mean, I have a younger cousin. I mean, say younger, he's in his 30s now, but he didn't grow up with the wonderful world of weekly comics I did because, like, when he was a comic-buying age in the 80s, uh, sorry, in the early 90s, comics had gone to all-colour, glossy, free gift every week, and they were becoming more like magazines and there was less actual strips in them. But more importantly, they were too expensive. Mm. And they got too expensive to be pocket money, there were things you had to pester for, and therefore you, you didn't have that same tradition, I think. And I remember, yeah, I actually show my old comics, and used to go, eight pence! <laughs> you know, he was, he was blown <laughs> away by the prices, as well as the material. But you know me, you couldn't believe that you could have gone out and bought an armful of comics every week, like I did, with you your very meagre pocket money. And I think now it just there isn't the market to launch a weekly title anymore, even among, I mean, 2000 AD buyers now, they're, they're not going down to the local shops. They buy it on subscription, or more often, you know, on Comicsology, or mm. or just picking up the the inevitable graphic novel collection because <laughs> that's easier. Mm. But I think kind of like a glossy monthly title could be sort of doable, or at least quarterly. Essentially, a series of graphic novels, short graphic novels, w- would work well. I mean, I know the Misty uh, reprints Rebellion have done have sold very well and really sort of opened up that vault of stories. To a generation who, was, like myself, were aware of Misty, but we weren't allowed to read it because it was for girls. Now we can. Mm. It's Pat Mills, it's fine. You know, it's John Wagner, it's <laughs> fine. I don't, you yeah. know, we don't care anymore, thankfully. But, you know, they've they done a beautiful job with the, the Misty reprints, I mean, I got a back in early days of the internet from eBay, I got a, a CD-ROM with scans of the entire run. And I must say, it's kind of the stories have never looked better from what uh, the Treasury of British Comics are doing with them. You know, properly restoring the original art and getting them printed on high-quality paper rather than the smudgy newsprint. Mm. Uh, and I think there's about four or five Misty titles now they've, they've done from reprints, and so they're clearly selling well. And I think there's room not just for a revived Scream as a kind of a prestige format, four or six. Issues a year, but certainly there's a market for Misty, because Misty rang for a good couple of years, and although it's kind of it's only now the the world and the heritage of British girls' comic is coming to light. Like Tammy and Ginty had some brilliant SF stories that were as seminal for girls growing up as you know 2000 AD was for boys. Mm. I think there's there's a similar sort of market out there of people you know girls who grew up reading Misty. If you did you know a nice Little glossy, kind of almost like an annual, four times a year of Misty, done as Misty was originally, with the same sensibility, the gorgeous cover paintings and whatnot. I think that'd fly off the shelves.
1: Bring them on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it sort of comes back round to you know your reference to you know, Vampire Diaries or Twilight. It does actually sort of scratch an itch, which is out there as well for the the, the supernatural rather than the visceral, whether that's a female readership or a male readership. It's there. And it's there now.
2: Well I think there's always that market in horror. horror, obviously, is a very broad church. You know, on one hand you've got things like Taxi Driver is on the edge of horror 'cause it's the story of a man going mad. The silence of the lambs where it's kind of it's a high class slasher, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of kind of um <laughs> and you can go all you can go all the way down to, you know, terrible low budget horror that just exists to show people's getting their eyes sucked out by a devil goat. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> But certainly that kind of that, that the misty sort of brand of sort of sophisticated suspense and something that was gothic but also very contemporary and very sort of gritty, I I think that would go down a bomb. And likewise, I think the success of sort of Resident Evil, and The Walking Dead shows there's a market for that that more full-blooded, visceral, in-your-face horror that that Scream pervade. Let's say it, it's, it's a market of just waiting waiting to be tapped because while there is horror comics around they're a lot of the american ones now just seem to be in a bit of a rut of that they they go with a character-led thing and the trouble is you can only put a character through so much and have so Mm. much horror before you end up with basically a superhero punching monsters in the face Mm. which is fun and i like that kind Mm. of thing i'm I'm a big hellboy fan myself yeah that's exactly (laughs) but you don't you're not getting the the sort of the fear factor or the gross out factor or the things you normally associate, you know, with with ho- pure horror, shall we say?
1: Mm. Mm. I thought it was intriguing that from the get-go, Scream sort of did cast a pretty wide net in terms of what it called horror. It, I mean, we sort of say that it's visceral, but we're probably really referring to the likes of Tales from the Grave and 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 the Dracula file, um, but also in the Library of Death one-offs and the Nightcomers terror of the cats which it struck me as being a bit of a a pitch towards the james herbert style of sort of paperback i don't want to call it schlock because i'm pretty sure you have some some very strong views about those books jim (laughs) the the the, correct correct
2: term is paperback nasties thank you (laughs) that's that's what they were called that's actually where we get video nasty from I see. It was a publishing term, now I've forgotten, paperback nasties, that's what the rats and all the, uh, usually animals attacking people in visceral ways, <laughs> and the books that mm. followed. <laughs> mm. they, were, they were paperback nasties, and gave us video nasties, so there you go. Aha, uh-huh.
1: because uh, uh, I guess some of those ended up as being Amstor computer stories in Eagle, and for a while Amstor and the screen one-offs are sort of sitting side by side, and they really do show a breadth of what you can do with sort of a short twist in the tail. it doesn't yeah, you know, it could be a period piece. It could be it could be set in the future. It could be contemporary. It could be a monster. It could be a slasher. It could be supernatural. But but Scream is sort of pitching for all of those marks, and one of its keystone characters is one of the great characters of English literature, the
0: Count himself. I was going to say, Max, thank you very much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there just seems to have been so much potential there. I could have gone in so many different directions. I've got I've gone all wistful. <laughs>
2: i have enormous affection for scream and can talk about it for a long long time but (laughs) try not to lift in just oh i remember that one (laughs) so nostalgia loops
0: are there any you particularly remember or any that that have stayed with you through the years
2: um there's a library of death story that really stuck out it's a stereotypical setup there's a haunted house and and a supposed medium and it's all just a scam to rook people. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there are real ghosts, and it ends up with these real ghost-like demons sort of showing you, they literally are pulling this guy's strings. And you go, I've got him under Mm. my control now. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: done with wires.
2: Yes, and that's the one. And I always remember that I was consuming a kind of, whoo, that's really creepy. I mean, and uh, a lot of the, the 13th floor I look forward to every week just to see what kind of mayhem max was going to unleash this this time you know what i mean because you you knew it'd be good it always delivers
1: <laughs> i guess it's even a little bit of folk horror in um the drowning pool in in one of the very early issues as well you know the witch's ducking pond which has the you know the skeleton at the bottom grabbing at the kids
2: oh absolutely i mean that i guess that was directly inspired by um there's a british public information film called oh, and yes. lonely water voiced <laughs> yeah. by donald pleasant's <laughs> I'm featuring a figure, a hooded figure, that actually, if you look at the profile, that I'm pretty sure that's where Gasty McNasty came from. It's the same kind uh. of monk's habit, but with the built-up shoulders and the really sort of long, sort of pointy hood. I'm pretty pretty sure that that's where it came from. The other thing I actually love as a kid was having the proper comedy editor like Tharg. I mean, for little kids, it is sort of quite fun to kind of... Certainly, when 2000D first came out, and I was seven or eight... They was debating the playground was Tharg real, um, <laughs> ridiculous as that seems. <laughs> but I think that that's part of the charm of these things. So you, you do it with a straight face. But I thought with Scream they had this marvelous hook. They sort of had it a bit with Star Lord and the idea, you know, your secret leader giving you messages and stuff. Not so much with the Big E into in Tornado. With Gassy McNasty, oh. they really I think they hit something very similar to the Tharg concept that had a lot of mileage and a lot of humour. But also it gave a great spur was, you know, you had the ongoing thing of readers sending in, what did you think Gasty really looks like under the hood? Mm. (laughs) And and that was just a, a great impetus for kids to send in art and get prizes. And, I mean, 2000 AD did this very well over the years. I remember they had a design, an alien sort of thread, where for a good probably a year or something, kids sent in their own version of Aliens. And I think they had another one, Design Your Own Bounty Hunter. And they sort of used to th- thought I could throw these things out and uh, encourage you know, readers to send in drawings on a certain theme. And that always worked really well. And so they you to know, come up with, you know, what's Ghastly really look like. That That was a brilliant just spur to draw kids in and get them involved. And I think part of the longevity of 2000 AD and Eagle was the fact there was this interaction with the readers. You say interaction sounds terribly primitive, you know, writing letters to an editor or sending stuff in, but mm. the, the fact you could do that, a lot of comics didn't bother and they didn't have that mm. kind of forum of where you could get a letter printed or a drawing printed and win some money. Get some investment. Yeah, absolutely, and that builds the mm. readership and it makes it kind yeah. of... It's like you're not just a reader, you're part of a club.
1: <laughs> yeah, a sense of community. mm, mm. Of course, they had to go and spoil it all by showing us what Garsu looked like under the hood, but that didn't that never happened as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's a, a complete... <laughs> no, no, that, that didn't happen like Crystal School, <laughs> that
2: happened in the universe next door.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, The comedy special covered coaster, mm. cautionary <laughs> what if <of> tale. <laughs> oh, lovely. I think we've done it, haven't we? <laughs> I think we have.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Jim. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, that was a, a joy. It's been lovely to have you and listener if if you come to us by some bizarre maze of consequences which means you've never been to hypnogoria please go there now you deserve it you, it's, it's well worth the effort
2: indeed I'm one of the british longest running podcasters now but mainly wow. through stupidity and persistence on my own part rather than anything else but yes yeah, locked up 10 years now in the archives we're talking about weird stuff and old comics and all Bad movies and all sorts
1: It's a public service And and such a treat And and such a treat to have you on with us Thank you very much Oh, My pleasure You've been an inspiration Oh, thank you Dave, I feel like we should be getting Jim To record one last ghastly voice for us Perhaps perhaps we're not actually talking to Jim after all And he's always been ghastly
0: all along (laughs) (laughs) Not for the nervous Scream And with that, dear listener we're done with screen, And we're done with 2020. Hooray! Uh. <laughs> Talk about horror. <laughs> now we both wish you a happy and healthy and safe Christmas wherever you may be.
1: Yes, indeed. Keep the cold outside and the warm inside. And it's a good night from me. And it's a very good night and very best wishes from me.
0: Good, good night. night. House needs haunting,
2: just call Rent a Ghost. We've got spooks and ghouls and freaks and fools at Rent a Ghost. Hear the phantom of the
1: opera sing a haunting melody. Remember, what you see is not a mystery, but
0: that laugh was really good. <laughs>
3: exactly.
0: Thank you so much, Jim. It's been lovely to finally have you. It's it's been a, a stinker of a year to get this done. We were going to try and have this done by last Halloween. It's awesome.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I know the feeling. On my own show, I'm so behind on shows I promised, series I've started, not finished yet. And next year, I'll finish that damn Batman series. I promise.
1: Now's probably not the good time for me to say that you you originally hooked me in. My Batman series. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've, been, I've got another part planned, and I've had for about two years, and every time I start to do it, somebody bloody dies and end up doing a tribute show, and then another <laughs> tribute show, and then a shell bit. I've got the point now where I think when I start recording Batman, someone will die. <laughs> I'll have to do it by stealth and sort of just do it without even knowing I'm doing it.
1: The, the jessica the jessica fletcher of <laughs>